What's up, everybody? Good to be with you guys tonight. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at CA Students. I'm so glad to be with every single one of you guys tonight. It's my joy to be here. I love you. And uh, I'm excited to jump into the Bible tonight, to God's Word. We are in a series called Already Loved. Can you say, Already Loved? And we're taking a look at how, when we know how loved we are by God, we're able to live differently and engage in relationships differently. And uh, I've loved this series so far. Um, when we're living already loved, when our identity is in God, is in Christ, it changes everything. And that topic um, absolutely applies to Yes, the topic of sex and sexuality. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, living already loved, like we've been talking about, helps us to not run and try to find love in all the wrong places, but helps us know that where our true hope and satisfaction and life is found is in God alone, is in Jesus Christ. And as we approach this conversation, I want to say a couple things. Number one, I want to say that God loves every single person in this room. As we talk about this topic tonight, if you feel like, man, I'm, I've been imperfect, but I've, I've sought to be obedient to God in this, in this place, in this place of sexuality, God loves you. And if we talk tonight and you feel like, wow, I've, I've fallen really short of what God calls us to live by, I want you to hear tonight that God loves you. He loves you loves you. He gave his life to save you, to forgive you, to redeem you. So I want to start that off. We got to all know that we're already loved as we approach this conversation. Second thing I want to say is this topic um, can sometimes, it's, it's just a conversation, you know, in our culture right now. And it's a place that there's a lot of deception. And this is a place that a lot of people get confused and decide you know, I don't want to trust God's word on this topic. And so I want to cry out to you as a pastor in this community, don't be deceived. I think of on the road to Emmaus, these disciples who thought Jesus was dead, they were having this intense conversation about all the things of what had just happened. And Jesus actually shows up and he's like, what are you guys talking about so intensely? What's, what's going on here? And they're like, where have you been? Like, have you not heard about all that just happened with Jesus of Nazareth and how he died and he died on the cross. And as they're having this intense conversation, what does Jesus do? He goes and he unpacks the scriptures. He goes and points those people to the Bible, to God's word. And so in this cultural conversation, ultimately I want to say, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to go to? And you're either going to believe God's ruining your life or that God's saving your life. And I'm here to declare to you that God's design and God's will is there to save your life, not to ruin your life. The third thing I want to say, I want to ask every single person in here to do, is examine your worldview. Is your worldview human-centered or is it God-centered? Two different ways to have a world. What's a worldview? It's how we see everything. Uh, the grid for how we interpret things. Your personal epistemology, how you know what you know. And I want to say briefly that not every worldview is created equal. Not every worldview is equally valid. 
there are worldviews that actually line up with reality more than other worldviews do. There are worldviews that actually lead to human flourishing more than other worldviews do. When we approach this conversation, if we have a human-centered worldview, then at the core of everything, what we believe is that what humans feel and want and desire is the most important thing. If we have a God-centered worldview, we believe that God is on the throne. What he thinks and what he wants and he himself is what's worthy of being honored and glorified. And so as we approach this conversation of sexuality, if we have a human-centered worldview that people should just be able to do whatever they want, and how could you ever say no, then we're going to be really offended and upset by what God's word has to say. But if we have a God-centered worldview, it's going to make sense to us that there are boundaries around God's gift of sexuality. And though it might be hard to, you know, to follow those things, it'll at least make sense that there are boundaries, and at best, it'll be hopeful and liberating to you. So, the first point of tonight is this. Living already loved, CA students, is a way of having a God-centered worldview. Deciding tonight, you know what? No matter what the world says, no matter what people say, trusting what God has to say, that is a God-centered worldview. You know what? Knowing that I'm loved by God, I don't need to get my deepest desires and needs met from other people. I can get those met from God. That's a way of being God-centered in your worldview. I love this verse, 1 John 4, 16. We know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in his love. All right. It's an important part of being a disciple of Christ to keep growing into having more and more of a God-centered worldview. Jesus was God, and obviously, he had a God-centered worldview. And so, if we're seeking to follow him, we're not just trying to add a little bit of Jesus onto our life. We're trying to adopt Jesus' worldview in every aspect of our life, including the topic of our sexuality. And by the way, Jesus is completely unlike every other religious figure that there's ever been. Here's number one reason why. He is not still in the grave. We should believe what he says. So what I'm calling you tonight is, is listen, we're going to talk. And, and the Bible, it's not just a philosophy book. It's a history book. And it's testifying to God's action in the world culminating in Jesus Christ. We ought to believe what he says about every part of life, including our sexuality. So even right now, CA students, every single one of you, would you just ask the Lord, Lord, would you please help me to have a God-centered worldview, not a human-centered worldview? Help me realize that it makes sense that sometimes in your love you would tell me no. That love, 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices in the truth. So love and truth are not mutually exclusive, but truth is a part of love. Would you ask the Lord to help you have a God-centered worldview? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So friends, what was Jesus' worldview when it comes to sexuality? Remember, all the things that I'm going to say up here, I have no authority except for insofar as I communicate God's word and what Jesus thought, okay? And so I don't want to just say stuff without backing it up with the Bible. 
And so, and it's like, what did Jesus think about sexuality? Well, let's ask him, right, in his inspired word. So let's, let's go to what he says. Matthew 19, 3 through 5. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then Jesus says, haven't you read? So he's affirming the scriptures. He's affirming the Old Testament. He replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. There's marriage right there. And the two will become one flesh. There's sex that's consummating the marriage. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's amazing what's Jesus' worldview. He's quoting the Bible. He's quoting Genesis 127 and 224. I'd encourage you to look those up later. See, students, as disciples of Christ, we emphasize God's word so much because, number one, it's true. Number two, it's good for us and those around us when we trust it and live by it. And number three, Jesus loved the Bible, loved God's word, believed it, believed it was God's very word. And so as disciples of Christ, we do the same thing. So what do we learn from Jesus regarding what he said and quoted regarding a God-centered worldview when it comes to sexuality? Point number two for the night is this. God designed and therefore defines our sexuality. God designed and defines our sexuality. Basically, the creator, the one who invented sex, which is a gift and a good thing, it's not in itself a dirty thing or a bad thing. It's a gift. It's a good thing. Thank God for it. But with it, the creator has put boundaries around it because it has a specific purpose. Not only is he the creator, God's omniscient. He knows everything. So he knows what's going to lead to life. He knows what's going to lead to to blessing. He also knows what's going to lead to evil and to suffering. He's our creator. See, students, God made humanity male and female. He made you male or female. And this distinction is good. We don't determine our sex or our gender. God graciously gives it to us. People, for example, advertising their preferred pronouns is actually the result of a human-centered worldview coming in because it thinks that we have the right or the authority or the wisdom to define our gender and our sex. But when we have a God-centered worldview, we realize that that question has already been answered. We don't have the wisdom, we don't have the right, we don't have the authority to determine that it's completely connected to our biological sex. And don't hear me saying that all guys have to, like, play sports and all girls have to like pink or something like that. Don't rely on cultural stereotypes for what is a guy and what is a girl. But if you're a girl that likes to lift, you're not a guy. You're a girl who likes to lift. If you're a guy who prefers to not play sports, you're a guy who doesn't like to play sports. Don't rely on cultural stereotypes. Rely on God's word and rely on what God has said through what he's given you in your biological sex. We trust God with what he's made. Part of having a God-centered worldview as well, CA students, when it comes to sexuality and God's design, 
is to realize that sexuality does not complete us. It's not salvation. It's not our identity. It's not our hope. Did you know there's no marriage in heaven? There's no marriage and sex in heaven. So let's practice now not looking to that to satisfy us and be our ultimate hope by realizing God's the only one that can complete us. God's the one that can ultimately satisfy us in this life and in the next. By the way, the Bible highlights that singleness is just as great as an option as marriage. You don't have to get married. Jesus was single. Paul was single. God's word teaches that singleness is an equally great option as marriage. You don't have to get married. However, if you do want to get married in the future, here's what God's word teaches regarding sex and marriage. Point number three. God designed sexuality to unite one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for life. God designed sexuality to unite one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for life. God's word throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it just doesn't flinch when it comes to God's design. One man, one woman in marriage. This means that sexual activity and expressions outside of this are against God's design and sinful. Having sex outside marriage, pornography, lusting after other people, practicing homosexuality, all these things are outside of God's design, grieve his heart, and earn his judgment. And a God-centered worldview helps us to embrace the fact that sex is not just about pleasure, it's not just about procreation, God designed sexuality to unite one man and one woman in marriage. That's part of why sexuality outside of marriage doesn't make sense. It's not what it was designed to do. When you have sex with somebody outside of marriage, you're giving yourself physically completely to someone you haven't committed and covenanted your life to in other ways. It's not what it's designed to do. Sex is made to unite one man and one woman in marriage. God's call to purity and holiness when it comes to sexuality is very different from parts of our world's message. Listen, guys, our world basically says, especially when it comes to sexuality, is express yourself and indulge yourself. Don't let anybody tell you what you should do or what you should not do. Jesus's call is different, guys. Jesus's call is not express yourself and indulge yourself. It's deny yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, and then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And that doesn't mean that the Christian life is not a joyful life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly, the fullness of life. Come on. It's a very different message than Jesus' message. But here's a question we get sometimes. How far is too far? When it comes to physical expressions of affection, when do they become sinful? Remember, the Bible's crystal clear that there's no sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. But it doesn't tell us exactly how far is too far up to that line. That being said, the Bible does give us some principles and some wisdom. First of all, don't let that be your main question, how far is too far. Let your main question be, how do I honor God? How do I honor that other person that I'm in relationship with? How do I honor their future spouse, my future spouse, if we have future spouses someday? Let those be your first questions. And then let your other question be, how do I, um, how do I, get, how do I get closer to Jesus? And how do I leave this person better off if and when this thing doesn't work out? Let those be your first questions. Then 
the Bible's explicit, right, to honor your father and mother, like Britt just recently talked about. So I want to encourage you to get biblical, wise, godly wisdom from your parents regarding what physical boundaries should be, all right? Also, don't do anything that violates your conscience or disrupts your experience of fellowship with the Lord. And I do want to say, if you don't have any godly parent or guardian speaking into your life, here are three recommendations for you. Keep your clothes on. Don't touch anywhere a bathing suit would cover, and don't do anything that leads to orgasm. Finally, be on the same page with the person you're in relationship with about the physical boundaries you're setting and stick to them. And this is part of why dating someone who is a follower of Christ and is seeking and has the same values and is seeking to have a God-centered worldview matters so much. If a person is not seeking to follow Christ and having a God-centered worldview, they're likely not going to want to encourage you to honor God with your body, which the Bible constantly talks about. Here's another question we got in the question box in the lobby. Does this still apply, what God's Word teaches? The question said this, what does the Bible say about LGBTQ issues? I've heard that blank, but someone said blank isn't true anymore. That's a question we got in the question box. Just quick plug for the question box. We love to get those and try to answer those questions. I'm assuming the first part, and really just those blanks, are what we've been talking about, that God's word teaches that sexuality is made to unite one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage for life. Sexual expression outside of that is sinful. I'm assuming that's what they've heard. But they heard from someone that that doesn't apply anymore. That's not true anymore. First of all, there's no part of the Bible that's not true anymore. The entire Bible is completely truthful in everything it intends to communicate. It's inspired by God. It's not a human book. It's a God book. God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers 23, 19. Maybe someone is saying that what the Bible teaches on sexuality doesn't apply today in 2023. And that's important to address. Listen, serious students, listen, listen. God's word always applies to us and therefore is to be obeyed when we understand the Holy Spirit, who's God, intended meaning through the passage. God's word always applies to us and is therefore to be obeyed when we understand the Holy Spirit's intended meaning through the passage. This idea that God's word doesn't apply today is something you don't just hear around the conversation of sexuality. People can think that about other things too. For example, when you don't feel like loving your enemies, someone might tell you that you should hate them and try to say that God's word to love our enemies doesn't apply anymore. Or when people want to be greedy, they try to make reasons why God's word about giving and generosity doesn't apply. When people feel like being lazy, we can be tempted to try to come up with reasons why God's word about working hard doesn't apply. When we don't want to care for the poor, we can try to come up with complicated arguments as to why we don't need to care for the poor anymore. When we don't want to forgive, the list could go on. And see, students, please listen. When it comes to sexuality, which matters to God, we just see it throughout the Bible, it matters to God, he made it. We clearly see that God's original design in creation is, and this design is repeated and affirmed in the New Testament. Both the Old Testament and New Testament affirm what Jesus affirmed. Sexuality is designed to unite one man and one woman in marriage for life. Maybe you'll hear the argument that monogamous, committed, same-sex relationships 
didn't exist in the time of the Bible, so the Bible couldn't be, you know, addressing those. To be honest, that's just a lack of education talking. Historian Thomas Hubbard, who's not a Christian, by the way, wrote an exhaustive work entitled Homosexuality in Greece and Rome. He demonstrates that homosexuality existed in a wide variety of forms, much like today, and that included committed, lifelong, same-sex partners. Had God wanted to distinguish between valid and invalid forms of practicing homosexuality, he could have done so. When we look at the whole counsel of God's word and understand the context and interpret it rightly, we see that the, what the Bible says on sexuality still applies. And it's actually good news. Point number four is this. No part of God's word is irrelevant or outdated. The rightly interpreted meaning of every passage still applies. No part of God's word is irrelevant or outdated. The rightly interpreted meaning of every passage still applies. See, students, part of our culture have fully embraced a human-centered worldview. Even some professed Christians have embraced a human-centered worldview and teach deception when it comes to sexuality. But the Bible clearly warns about this. 1 Timothy 4, 3-4 says this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So see, students, you've been warned. 1 John 4, 1 through 2 says, Dear friends, don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. There are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. Guys, don't just believe anything that somebody tells you. Look back. Do they point to the trustworthy word of the creator, God. What does it say? If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. What, is, what does that mean? The way to know if a teacher is speaking by the spirit of God is if they hold to the teachings of God's word. If someone's teaching you not to believe the Bible or discard any part of it, run. Run. Don't be taught by them any longer. Living already loved by God not only helps us to not look for love by using sexuality in unsanctioned ways. Point number five, living already loved also helps us hold to God's word and teaching in, midst, in the midst of times of opposition. See, students, to believe God's word on this topic, there at times will be some opposition. But I want to tell you that to humbly, lovingly, gently hold to and believe God's word on the topic of sexuality is actually the most loving thing that you can do. And it's the most logical thing that you can do if God really is who he says he is. I want to say that you're not being hateful. You're not being homophobic. You're not being bigoted. You're not being oppressive. No, you're being loving when you hold to these things in love and in gentleness and in kindness and in grace. You're being courageous to point people to the truth. See, students, where's, 
the good news in this. I want to offer you one thing before we close and go to life groups. For me, part of why this is good news to me is because the reality that there are boundaries that God places around sexuality shows me that there actually is a God and that there actually is hope. If there was no God, yes, we would be free from his boundaries, but there would be no ultimate meaning. There'd be no ultimate purpose. There'd be no ultimate hope. There'd be no ultimate heavenly father. There'd be no ultimate hope for life after death. There'd be no salvation. But the reality of these boundaries show me that there's a God who loves me and is for me and was willing to go to the cross to save me. I encourage you with what I started at the beginning. Whether you feel like, wow, I've been doing my best to hold to God's teaching on this, you're so loved. And if you feel like, I've fallen very short of this, I don't even believe this right now, I want to say that you're loved by God. And God has made a way through the cross of Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to run a race of purity and of love and of holiness that shines. I love you so much, CA students. Jesus said, don't, be, don't, don't let people deceive you. Don't let people deceive you. Whose word are you going to trust? Are you going to trust that TikTok star? Are you going to trust your teacher? Are you going to trust a college professor? Trust God. Trust God's word. You'll never regret it. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you that love always rejoices in the truth. We trust you, God. I just thank you, Lord, that you care about every part of our lives. And I pray that even as we go to life groups, you just help us grow together in trusting your word and trusting and having a God-centered worldview, God. I pray for every single person in this room to hear that they're so loved. They're so wanted by you, no matter what they've done. In Jesus' name, amen.